All righty, all righty. I'm going to start by giving you a keyboard lesson now. It's funny. I've been pr- uh, you can start the recording now. Uh, I've been playing I've been playing piano since I was a little boy, and a lot of people have asked me, "Can you teach me to do what you do? Can you teach me how to play?" And I've had to stop over the last ten years. I've had to stop and ask myself, "How did I learn?" Because I never took lessons. There wasn't a book or any program I went through. But for some reason, I learned how to play, and I always learned how to play by ear, by listening. Uh, never by looking at at the page. So even classical music, I would. I learned how to play that by listening to a recording of it when I was a teenager in high school. And so I, I learned these things by listening, and I learned how to play a lot of things in a lot of different keys. And so over the years, people have asked me, can you teach me how to do what you do? And I, I started thinking, well, how could I teach how to do what I do? Because I just play by ear. I listen, and then I play. I, I, I hear it, and I, I can somehow play it, and I couldn't figure out. It was kind of a post-intuitive process of figuring out, how did I learn how to play and how to do what I do? What I realized after kind of thinking about it for a number of years is that what I do is extremely simple. It's not subliminal. You want you see people play by ear, they're not using the force. You know, it's not, not the subliminal thing. It's very simple. What I realized is that playing the piano simply amounts to understanding basic chord progressions. Look at your neighbor say basic chord progressions. Now here's how basic chord progressions work. If you think of every note as a number, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. Every note is a number, and every note is also a chord, and those chords basically correspond to those numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. If you think of the one, the four, and the five chord as the basic chord progression, if you can play the one chord, the four chord, the five chord, the four chord, and the one chord. Four, five, it's the basic chord progression. You can play a lot of stuff like, Lord, I lift your name on high. Just, just three, two little, three little chords. The one, the four, and the five. Lord, I love to sing your praise. Oh, I'm getting fancy now, huh? But I'm still only playing the one, the four, and five. It's just more fancy ways of, more sophisticated ways of, of just doing the basic one, four, five chord pattern. That's all it is. It's nothing special, just the one the four and the five, and I can even transpose it. Now I'm in a different key, but I'm still only doing the one, the four, and the five. Nothing, no, I haven't played any other chord yet except the one, the four, and the five. And what I realized about playing the piano is that if you understand the basic foundational chord progression upon which everything else is built and if you get that in your mind and in your heart and in your ears so that you can hear it in your fingers so that you can play it if you become intimate with that basic fundamental foundational chord progression you have the building blocks upon which to build the ability to play whatever you want everything is built on that basic fundamental foundational chord progression. I'm going to push this down so I can see you guys over here. That basic foundational chord progression. And so what I did was I devised a system for teaching piano based upon the impartation of these basic skills. And it becomes more and more complicated until within a year or two years, you'll be able to play whatever I can play and probably even more. I've seen people that I've taught far surpass me in what they can play because they have more talent than I do. I begin to think about it. I said, okay, if I can think about how to teach piano in a systematic way, shouldn't the spiritual life be just as easy to teach? In other words, what I'm doing is piano discipleship. When I open my school, I'm taking on a bunch of disciples who are simply there to learn how to play as I play. And that's all discipleship is. Discipleship is when you learn from a rabbi how to do what the rabbi does. The word disciple is mathetes in the Greek. It means little learner. It's, it's, it's not like a member of a fan club. 
There's a lot of fan club Christianity out there. Jesus is my superhero type of thing. And we just kind of get all of the Jesus paraphernalia like, like he's our sports team that we, that we watch and follow. Yay, Jesus. And whenever we see Jesus win a victory, we go, yay, Jesus. But how many know that living the Christian life is not simply about saying, yay, Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. Now, if Jesus did discipleship with his disciples, what we are looking for is his method of instruction. How did, what, first of all, what did he teach? And number two, how did he teach it? What was it that he imparted to his disciples? Because after three years, he, he took them all in the room, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Now, for Pentecostal charismatics, we focus on that he breathed on them. They just got the Holy Ghost and went out and did what he did. And we forget that he spent three years discipling them. It wasn't just an experiential pneumatic phenomenon of being filled with the Holy Spirit that empowered him, them to do what he did. He actually taught them some stuff. And we got folks thinking, all I need is to speak in tongues, and then I can go out and do everything Jesus did. And you get your, the, 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 you get your tail beat by the devil. That's what ends up happening. Because you can speak in tongues, but you can't do anything else. Now, I began to think about it, I began to meditate on it, I began to pray about it, and this is what dawned on me. The basic soul progression of the spiritual life, Jesus gives it to us the first time he opens his mouth and begins his ministry. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is foundational stuff. This is simple stuff, and actually, the author of Hebrews we're going to see in a moment refers to this foundation in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Why does he refer to it? Because the churches, after decades, still hadn't got it. And he says, can we stop laying this basic foundation? The fact of the matter is, just like the one four five four chord progression, if you don't get that down, you can't play anything else. Here it is, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. The biggest problem in our culture, especially in the Christianity of our culture, is that we've got a truncated understanding of the gospel. The gospel in contemporary Christianity has become a truth greatly reduced. We think it's just the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's far more than that. He came preaching the gospel, and what did he say? Two things. Number one, the time has come. Number two, the kingdom of God is near. And number three, here's the progression. Repent and believe the gospel. The equivalent to the one four five four chord progression, that foundational chord progression for spirituality, for Christianity, for discipleship to Jesus, that chord progression is repent and believe. Repent and and believe. Repent and believe. And the two must go together like love and marriage, like cookies and milk, like burgers and french fries, like pizza and root beer, or Korean barbecue and Coke. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Try it. There's an anointing on that one. The fact of the matter is, repentance and faith are foundational, but they are not a foundation that you ever graduate from. No matter how sophisticated you become in the spiritual life, you're never doing anything more than just repenting and believing. You'll become more sophisticated in your repentance, more sophisticated in your faith. You'll be believing for greater and greater things. You won't be believing for the same things you used to have to believe for, but you're, you'll, you're still simply repenting and believing. Never more, never less, repenting and believing. And the moment you stop repenting and believing, the moment you stop growing in your repentance and growing in your faith, at that very moment you cease to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. And he starts by saying the time has come. I love, it, love that he says the time has come because we be Pentecostals up in this piece. And we're constantly talking about your season. It's your season. It's your season. You're about to enter into a new season. It's a new season, and your season for this has come, and your season for that has come, and your season for this has come. Jesus says the time has come. Translation, it's your season. Look at the neighbor say, it's your season. Your season has come. 
Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're about to walk into a new season. But I don't care what season has come in your life. There's only one way for you to lay hold of the new season, and that's repentance and faith. And what I see is a lot of believers proclaiming the new season, but no repentance and no faith, and so they never enter into it. And, God, and, and a lot of times you think, well, maybe I didn't hear from God. God speaks to you and says it's a season of prosperity and financial abundance. And you go, yay, season of prosperity. And you're just waiting for financial abundance to come, but you're not repenting. You're not believing. And ten years later, you're still talking about, the Lord said it's my season, but you're never entering into your season. Why? Because there's no repentance and there's no faith. You're still walking in the same old thought patterns. Still thinking the same old way. The same old stinking thinking. And doing the same old thing in the same old way, but expecting a different result is definition insanity. He said the time has come, and then he said the kingdom of God is here. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is when God decides to take over. God is now in charge. You know, it's, it's funny when you can have, <coughs> you can go to any plant and there's a foreman there or, you know, they're, they're the guy who runs the plant. I mean, he's in charge of every employee in that plant. But when the president and CEO of the organization steps into the plant, a new kingdom has just entered. That guy's word used to be law. Now the CEO is there. The kingdom is here. My, my, my brother, my younger brother can testify that the presence of our father did that for us. Man, we could be home acting a fool, making a mess, watching TV, playing video games. But when we would hear my father's car pull in the driveway, we knew that the kingdom had come upon us. And it was time to repent. Turn off that TV. Put a fan on it so it's not hot. Clean that up. Watch those. Things. Quick, daddy's home. This is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is here. Daddy's home. So you better clean up them dishes and get rid of them foul thoughts and, and repent of those foul ways. God is up in the house. <laughs> repent. Quick. Because daddy's got a black leather belt. <laughs> and he'll use it. He's not afraid to use it. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh, I got a witness up in here. Especially Asahel. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Asahel. I, I, I love messing with Asahel. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And you need them both together. You never can separate repentance and faith. Actually, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Matter of fact, whenever you see faith appear in Scripture without repentance, repentance is implied. Whenever you see repentance without faith, faith is implied. You can't actually repent without believing. It's not real repentance if it's not followed by believing, and it's not real believing if it's not preceded by repentance. I see a lot of people come to Christ without really repenting. Just Jesus, come join me in my life, but I'm not turning away from anything. Jesus, come Ride in my car with me, but I'm not turning the wheel in a different direction. Jesus, just come join me in whatever I'm doing. There's just a lot of believing and a lot of professed believing, but no real repenting. I love seeing people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, but are living in blatant rebellion against him outwardly. And they know, they'll put it on their Facebook wall and then one minute later say, praise, praise the Lord. My girlfriend's pregnant. She's having a boy. Praise Jesus. He's so good. Oh, I didn't get no amens on that. I know I'm living in blatant rebellion against him, but who cares about the repentance side? I just believe. Praise God. God is so good. But yeah, or, or how about boxers? I love watching boxing matches, you know, and one guy knocks the other guy out, and then afterwards he has to testify. I want to give honor and praise to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for giving me the strength to whoop his blankety blank, blank, blank. That's why he's in there laying on his blank. Oh, y'all never seen that, huh? Lots of faith. Everybody believes, but nobody's repenting. Or then the other side, we've got believers who keep falling into sin again and again and again and again and again, and all they know how to do is repent, but not believe. 
God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God, I'm saying all you're doing is groveling and groveling and groveling and groveling. Listen, if you repent but don't get up off your knees believing that you have been cleansed and washed and set free. Repentance without faith is religious groveling. Faith without repentance is religious arrogance. If I believe without repenting, I'm just spiritually arrogant. I think God doesn't care about the way I'm living my life. But if I'm repenting without believing, it's groveling. And whatever is not of faith is sin. Do you realize that repentance, when it's not done with faith, is sin? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You think God is pleased because you're groveling? He is not pleased. It doesn't make God happy to see you just groveling. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No faith. But repentance and faith. Now you've just stepped into the kingdom. Repentance says, God, I've turned away. And the word in the Greek is metanoia. It means to change your mind. The word in the Hebrew is shuv. It means to turn. You've got to turn away from something. You've got to change your mind. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be able to look back to the moment when you turned away from your prior life of sin, when you turned away from, from acts that lead to death, when you turned away from your prior way of thinking, and when you turned towards the Lord and said, I'm making a decision, I'm leaving all that junk behind, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. And if you can't look back on that moment when you turned away from your prior life and turned towards the Lord, you are not saved my friend you can't skip steps repent and believe in that order you can't jump straight to faith you got to repent repent and believe it's the basic progression of the spiritual life now there's first of all there's several forms of repentance and really all repentance is remember it, it means to change your mind it means to turn all repentance is is removing thought patterns that stand in the way of your faith in order to believe you got to repent you got to change your mind to think highly of god you got to stop thinking highly of the things of the world to desire the things of the Spirit, you've got to stop desiring the things of the world. In order to turn toward God, you always got to turn away from something else. What, when was the last time you turned away from something? And what did you turn away from? Can you answer that question? When, what was the last thing you turned away from? When did you turn away from it? And what was it? If you can't answer that question, you haven't repented in a long time. You should be repenting every day. You should be able to say, on the way to church this morning, I turned away from this thought. I felt it coming on, and I said, God, I repent. I turned that thought away. You know what? You've got to repent a thousand times a day. Why? Because you're constantly being bombarded by thought patterns, by things that come from the enemy. And typically, all we do is embrace them and say, well, God knows my heart. <laughs> Lord, you know I'm trying. God never asks you to try to do better. He simply asks you to repent and believe. Are you hearing me? If you're trying to do better, you're trying to live this Christian life in your own strength. But if you're repenting and believing, it means that you're turning over to the Lord the ability to do what you cannot do for yourself. Do you know that submission is far more powerful than discipline? <clears throat> I can do by submission what I cannot find the strength to do by my own discipline. You know what I'm talking about? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because your child will not discipline himself or herself to brush his or her teeth every night. But they will submit to you if you make them do it. <laughs> and as the, I mean, when you're, you know, my daughter has to be physically constrained in order to get her teeth brushed. 
I've got a, I've got, I have to physically bring her under the government of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Pick her up by her two hands and sit her on the, and then E, I got to put the toothpaste. But you know what? When she gets to about maybe, hopefully three, but maybe four, I don't know, I don't know, five, six years old, all I got to do is say, go brush your teeth right now. Go brush your teeth. Go, and I'm going to stay on her till you go in the bathroom and brush your teeth. And she goes to bed. Did you brush your teeth before you went to bed? Mm-mm. You get up out of this bed right now. You go in there and brush your teeth. I will make sure that submission does for her what discipline doesn't. By the way, parents, if you're waiting for your kids to discipline themselves, ain't going to happen. You have to discipline your kids. You've got to teach them. My little brother moved in the house with me. Tomorrow starts my new life. You know why? Because I'm coming into submission to my little brother in the area of physical fitness. My submission cannot get me to the gym. So I'm believing that my obedience will. And I told him, you tell me when it's time to work out and I will submit. Now, see, I'll make a thousand excuses for myself. But if I'm in submission to someone who says, it's time to work out right now. I don't want to hear you're tired. You get up, we're going to work out right now. But it's 6 a.m. I don't care what time it is. I used to walk in discouragement until my spiritual father began to command me, be encouraged, man of God. <clears throat> now it's an act of obedience, not discipline. I don't discipline my mind to be encouraged. I walk in submission. Submission is far more powerful than obedience. Repentance is fundamentally not an act of discipline, but an act of obedience or an act of submission. This is an important point. Because you think that you're just supposed to discipline your mind not to think the things you used to think and discipline your body not to do the things that you used to do. And whenever you fail, you think it's a failure of discipline. It is not a failure of discipline. It's a failure of obedience. It's a failure of submission. But when you come into full submission, you come to the place where you allow the kingdom of God to reign through your life and it does not require your discipline. It simply requires your submission. Repentance is the turning away from self-obedience toward obedience to God. It simply says, instead of submitting to what I feel, to what I want, and to what I desire, I will now submit to the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here, now repent. God has come to take over, now repent. Change your mind. Why do you need to change your mind? Because in the natural, it doesn't look like God has taken over. You don't feel like God has taken over. You don't see that God has taken over. And so you've got to change your mind so that you can begin to believe it. You're turning away from the myth of your self-government over your life. And that's what repentance is. At every moment when I recognize self-government creeping back into my thinking, I repent. I turn away from it. I turn my mind and heart back over to the Lord. Lord, I turn. We've been talking about moving the soul out of the flesh and into the spirit. That's what repentance is. It turns the mind. And remember, the mind is the lead member of the soul. At whatever direction I turn the mind, the heart and the, the, the will and the body follows. And so turning the mind into the spirit is a simple act of repentance. God, I turn away from my old way. And I turn towards you. And I believe. I believe. And so the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, says, let's leave the elementary teachings behind. Let's not lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith in God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, how many times do we have to lay this foundation? Get it down so that you can grow. Not past it, but grow into it. You know the scripture says that the old man grows corrupt with its passions and desires, but the new man grows up in Christ Jesus into the fullness of the stature of the measure of the body of Christ. Both the old man and the new man grow. But you've got to have a basic foundation in order to build on it. So how do I practice? Now, I, you know, I've been playing piano probably for 28 years maybe. And I think I can play pretty good. I've got certain things that I can do really well. But when I practice, you know what I practice? When I practice, every time I practice, I practice that basic chord progression. One, four, five, four, one. And then I go to another key and I'll play it. Doom. 
And you know what? Typically when I practice, I'll go through all of the keys on the keyboard so I can play it in every key. I make sure I'm fluid. And I'll find that I'll trip up in one key. And I say, ooh, I've got to work on the key of B. I don't know why. The key of B is harder for me. key of D flat is difficult for me. I can't stand all them black keys. You know? <laughs> Jermaine's looking at me like, why you got to be black? <laughs> <laughs> Whoever created the piano was a racist. No, I'm just kidding. But but I go back to that fundamental chord progression. Are you practicing your repentance and your faith? Are you exercising it? Exercise your repentance. It's every moment. It started with that fundamental moment. Most believers, they repented the moment they came to Christ, and then they stopped repenting after that. And because of that, they stopped growing. Repentance and faith every day. It's the basic progression of the soul. Repentance and faith. Turning away from dead works and turning towards the Lord. You know, there's nothing more powerful. This is the thing I see a lot of, a lot of especially young Christian men, fall into certain traps, certain sin traps. And and by the way, what I see is a lot of young Christian men fall into certain sin traps and feel alone there. Can I say you're not alone? There's a lot of guys struggling with the same thing you struggle with, and even some young ladies that are struggling with the same thing you're struggling with. But here's the key. When you've gone through that cycle again and again and again and again and again, you get down on yourself, you start carrying condemnation, you start carrying shame. You want to hide. You're, you're just buried in guilt and condemnation and shame and all of these things. And it's that shame and that condemnation that ensures that you're going to be stuck in that pattern for the rest of your life. Why? Because you think you just haven't repented enough. No. You've got to repent and believe. What do I mean by that? You've got to get up off of your knees after you repented and say, God, the Scripture says that if I repent of my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So I believe that at this moment I have been forgiven, I have been cleansed, and the power of that thing is broken off of me. I will never go back to it again. If you don't believe that at that moment it's broken off of you and you will never go back to it again, I guarantee you it will be to you according to your faith. You know why you go back to it? Because you believed that you would. You had faith for it. You were absolutely persuaded that that sin which began a bad work in you would be faithful to complete it. <laughs> you believed that all things would work together for your ill. You believed, you absolutely believed, and you have more faith in your ability to mess up than in God's ability to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Believing, begin to believe what the scripture says every day. Not only must you practice repentance every day, but you must practice faith. Let me ask you this question. What are you believing today? Now, here, here's, when we talk about faith, here's the big problem with believers. Because we're believing for the wrong things. What are we believing for? Money. I'm believing. Why? Because I need money for this and I need money for that. I'm just believing. I'm believing. I just believe that God's going to send money. When Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. That's what the Gentiles are believing for. Do you realize the gen even unsaved people are believing God for money? I remember one of my buddies who was a drug dealer would come and tithe. And I asked him, why do you tithe? He said, because I get blessed. <laughs> he said, no, I'm serious. I get blessed. Whenever I give my tithe, I get blessed. He's believing for money, and he's not even walking with the Lord. He's got faith. He gives his tithe because he believes... That if he gives his tithe, God's going to bless him even though he's a drug dealer. And we got blood-bought, sanctified, spirit-filled believers who don't even believe that. I quit tithing. Why? Because God don't bless me. Jesus said, stop believing for money. 
What did Solomon say? Cast but a glance at riches, and they sprout up wings and fly away. Next time you're praying for money, I just want you to see this. <laughs> Doesn't mean that you can't have stuff. It just means you can't glance in its direction. You're not supposed to be looking at it. Your focus is supposed to be on the Lord. What are we believing for? I'm believing for a parking space. <laughs> parking lot favor. Lord, provide a parking space for your servant. I'm believing for parking lot favor. What am I believing for? I'm believing that chicken is going to be on sale. We're believing for all the wrong stuff. The question is not what are you believing for. The question is what are you believing in. When you go to Scripture, look for something to believe in. In other words, every time I open the Bible, I'm confronted by my unbelief. I don't have to go very far. I mean, I just open up to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, stop right there. Lord, I believe that. But bring, help my unbelief. And bring me into a place where I fully believe that. Take away my unbelief. God, I repent for not believing you're my shepherd. I repent for feeling lost. Because listen, if the Lord is really my shepherd, I'm never lost. Have you ever felt lost? That means you don't believe Psalm 23. Because you can't feel lost and believe that the Lord is your shepherd at the same time. It's impossible. I don't get one verse. When I open up Scripture, I don't go one verse without being confronted with my unbelief. And I have to stop and say, God, I just don't believe this. Help my unbelief. Break this power of unbelief on me. God, I believe. I, by faith, I say I believe. Lord, I, I repent of my doubt. I repent for not believing this. And I stay on that one verse until the Spirit of God takes me into the place of faith where suddenly I begin to believe it. Wait a minute. No, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, when God gives that to you by revelation, stuff that we think we already believe. See, that's the thing. Familiarity breeds contempt. We become so familiar with some of these verses of Scripture that we're deceived into thinking we believe them. We only mentally assent to them. We don't actually believe them. Do you know that believing happens while you're sleeping? Believing is, is an unconscious phenomenon. You wake up in the morning believing what you believe. But if you wake up in the morning in doubt and in fear and in anxiety, feeling like you're lost, feeling like you're on your own, it all depends on you. There are some fundamental things that you're not believing about God. You've got to start the morning with repentance. Lord, you are my shepherd. I repent for believing that I'm living by my own power. I repent. And so when you open up, when I open up the pages of Scripture, my first act is always, always an act of repentance. My second act is always an act of coming to faith so that I believe it. I believe it. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God, for some reason, I don't believe that I'm in your secret place, and I don't believe I'm under your shadow either. And so, God, will you take away every power of deception of the enemy? See, here's the thing. Remember, everything that's not of faith is sin. All sin has its root in unbelief. You thought all sin had its root in desire. It does not. It has its root in deception. In order to be in any kind of sin, you've got to be deceived by the devil. Eve, what have you done? The serpent deceived me and I did eat. She did not say, that fruit just looks so good, I just had to have it. No, when she saw it, she didn't want it. The devil deceived her into thinking she wanted it. Every sin is rooted in deception, not in desire. Desire comes from deception. If you are desiring something that is antithetical to what God desires for you, you have been deceived. That desire is rooted in deception. And we can spend our lives fighting desire when really all God's calling us to do is refute deception. And that's what repentance is. It's turning the mind away from every form of demonic deception. And beginning to believe, coming back to that place of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... I shall not want. Lord, I don't believe that. Why? Because I want. No, I want. I could write down a list of wants right now. And you give me as many numbers as you want, I can fill in that list. I can list my wants ad infinitum. Hello? But David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can he really take away my wants? 
I mean, can he really heal me to the place where all I desire is him? Where he gives me all things freely to enjoy? But even though I enjoy them, I don't need them? Because all I've needed, his hand is provided? Can he really take me to that place of contentment where my soul longs for nothing more but the things of God? Where my soul has turned away from the things of the world? And not that I have to live in a state of ascetic monasticism, not that I have to live in a cave and have nothing, but I can live in the world and not be of it and not have my desires trained on it. Jesus says where a man's heart is, where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also, so that my treasure is never in earthly things, but my treasure is in heaven. My mind is on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Most of us believers don't even believe that that's possible. We think that's just a standard that's too high. I can't live up to it. Well, then you're living by your own power if you don't think you can live up. You're right. You can't live up to it. Neither can I. But He is able to keep me from falling, and to present me blameless. See, so much of the way we talk is so unbiblical. Well, you always got some sin. Show me that in Scripture. Well, nobody's perfect. We're only human. No, if we were only human, we'd be perfect like Christ. Sin distorts our humanity. It is not the expression of it. Sinning doesn't make you human, it makes you less than human. When God created Adam and Eve, He did not create two sinners. He created two perfect, holy expressions of Himself. Sin messed up their humanity. They didn't begin to be human when they sinned. They became less than human. The most human person who ever lived was Christ Jesus. You want to know what it means to be human? You've got to look at Jesus Christ. We were not created for sin, and we're not destined for it. We're destined for perfection. Are you hearing me? We're destined for perfection in Christ. What does that mean? That we should live according to this perfectionist standard and start judging one another? Absolutely not. That's not what it means at all. But it means that we've got to stop thinking according to unbiblical patterns and begin believing what the Scripture says. And the Scripture says He's able to keep me from falling and to present me blameless. Blameless. Before His glorious presence. Without fault. And with great joy, that is what I'm living for. That is what I'm believing for. That is what I'm believing in. Whether I get chicken on sale or not is cool. It's incidental. But that's not what I'm believing for. I'm not basing my life on chicken and parking places and, and stuff as stupid as money. I'm not believing. For, I'm not wasting my faith strength on stuff that's going to wither and die. I'm not wasting my faith strength on stuff that is so temporary that it's going to burn. What I'm believing for are things that are eternal. Things that have an eternal quality. Things that form me and shape me into the image of God. And this book is full of them. It's full of it. It's Every time I open up this book, something on the page is jumping out at me and telling me who God is and what I'm supposed to believe about Him. And who I am and what I'm supposed to believe about me and what my response is supposed to be. And I'm so full of unbelief. Hear me, brothers and sisters. I'm not putting this out here because I do this perfectly. I'm just like you. I'm a fellow sojourner on the road. I'm on the journey with you. We're on a journey together. But there's only one way we're going to get there is if we learn how to become perfect in repentance and faith. I'm not talking about being perfect in action. How about being perfect in repentance of faith? Having a heart that's quick to turn away from sin, quick to turn away from doubt, quick to turn away from unbelief and quick to believe in the lord quick to turn back to god quick to recognize but we are so unconscious to our unbelief it's become so a part of ourselves that we can't see it remember when i was a little kid um my brother josh and i were outside and we were uh sitting on the fence talking to the people that live behind us and we had been rolling around and playing in the dirt and having a blast, having a good time. But then we were sitting up on the fence, and the kid behind us had an older brother who came every once in a while. And he came that day, and to me, he, to us, he looked like he was seven feet tall and 400 pounds. I mean, he looked like a monster. He looked like Andre the Giant to us. And uh, he yelled at us and threatened us and said he was going to eat us or something, you know. So me and Josh were scared to death, so we ran in the house. Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And we ran to tell our mom what had happened. And her and my dad just fell on the floor and started laughing when they saw us. And we thought, what, what's going on? You know, what, what are they laughing at? They're, they're, I remember that moment thinking, this is injustice. 
you know, they should be they should be empathizing with us. Instead, they're laughing at us. They said, and my mom said, hold it right there. And she ran and got the camera and started snapping pictures of us. I couldn't figure out what is going on. You're supposed to be protecting us. Our lives are in danger here. You know, and when we looked at the pictures later, years later when I looked at those pictures, Josh and I had rings of dirt around our eyes. It was like perfect circles, rings of dirt, and our faces were covered in dirt. It was so close to us that we didn't know it was there. It was on us. That's how unbelief is. It's so close to you that you don't even see it. It cannot be detected, only revealed. Did you hear that? Unbelief cannot be detected. It can only be revealed. Only the Spirit of God can show you your unbelief. And so one of my primary prayers is, God, show me my unbelief so I can repent of it. I don't even know that I'm not believing. I think I'm believing. So often I think I'm standing in faith because I got my Bible. And I memorized a few scriptures. And all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord will hit me and show me I don't even believe the scriptures I memorized. Most of us can quote John 3.16 backward and forward, but we don't really believe it. God so loved the world. Why do I say we don't believe it? Because as soon as something goes wrong, we start saying, God, don't you even love me? Well, John 3, I mean, that is just, if you have ever asked that question, you just refuted John 3, 16. The most fun, I mean, even unbelievers know that scripture, but most of us, we become temporary atheists. Momentary atheism. We become unbelievers right about the point that we have a trial. And we think, Lord, if you just let me get through this season, then I'll come back. And what we don't realize is at that very moment that the call to repentance becomes real. Repent. The time has come. You've just entered into a new season. No, but Lord, you don't know what I'm going... No, 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 no. Repent. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. I'm, I don't care if you're in sorrow, repent and believe. I don't care if you've just experienced tragedy, repent and believe. I don't care if you've gone through a catastrophe, repent and believe. I don't care if you've got low self-esteem, repent and believe. I don't care if you've got pride, repent and believe. I don't care if, if, if the rent is due and the light bill too and money is funny and change is strange, repent and believe. You say, well, I live in the real world and repentance and believing doesn't pay the bills. No, but it perfects your life. And God isn't interested in just paying the bills. He's interested in conforming you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that requires that you repent and believe. I don't care if the light bill is still due after you repent. You repent again and believe again. My God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. Repent and believe. And it doesn't get any better than that. Repent and believe. Except what you'll find is that you'll grow in your repentance and you'll grow in your belief. You'll be able to transpose it to different keys. Because now you're in the middle of a marriage and you're struggling in your marriage and you can't get this woman to, to hear you or you can't get this man to understand you and everything seems to be going wrong. All that's happening is God is requiring you to transpose your repentance and belief into a different key. Now you've got to learn to repent and believe in the midst of a marital struggle. Now you've got to learn to repent and believe in the midst of a financial struggle. Now you've got to learn how to continually repent and believe in the midst of a health struggle. Now you've got to learn to repent and believe in the midst of a job situation in which your boss is out to get you and there's five other people at your job that are talking behind your back trying to get you fired. You've got to learn to repent and believe. God will put you in a variety of different situations so that you learn to transpose it to different keys. Because if he never put you in that situation, you never learn how to play it in that key. I'm learning how to repent. And I'm learning how to believe. And all of a sudden, you just get fluid. You know, what, you know what spiritual maturity is? Spiritual maturity is when you become so fluid in repentance and belief that it don't matter where God puts you. It doesn't matter what you go through. Come hell or hot water. It's just reflexive. You just reflexive. It's, you become uh, unconscious comp unconsciously competent. It's like driving a stick shift. You repent and believe without thinking. 
You're turning away from dead works. You're turning away from unbelief. You're swatting away the, the lies of the enemy. You're refuting demonic deception and you're believing in the power of God and you're just knowing that God is coming through and you know that the situation's about to shift. You're believing, no, 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 the kingdom of God is here. No, 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 the time has come. And everybody says, don't you realize everything's falling apart in your life? No, 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 no. My time has just come. The kingdom of God is here. I'm repenting and believing the gospel. I refuse to believe that everything's falling apart in my life when God has put me back together again, when he pulled me out of the miry clay and set my foot on a rock. There's no way that everything's falling apart in my life. I repent. I believe the time has come. I've just entered into a new season. That's what happened. I just entered into a new season. You know who does that better than anyone else I know is my spiritual father. I mean, I've seen him go through tragedy. I've seen him go through difficulty. I've seen him go through all kinds of adversity. His daughters get sick. His, I mean, I mean, he's got a daughter that's got cerebral palsy. His youngest daughter has cerebral palsy. And something will flare up and something will go wrong and he'll call me and say, oh, I know this is a new season. What's happening here is God is breaking her through into a new level of her ministry. And she's going to minister to people with this disease all over the world. I, the Lord just showed me that that's what's happening here. He always translates it into some kind of victory. You want to sing it in that key? I can sing it in that key, Lord. You want me to play it in that key? I can play it in that key. It don't matter where you put me. I'm going to repent of unbelief, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to walk away encouraged and strengthened and built up in my faith, and I'm going to give glory to God because I believe that God is able to do what He promised. I will not stagger in unbelief concerning the promise of God. It's just not going to happen. Against all hope, I will in hope believe. That's what it means to be a mature believer. It simply means that in all things, at all times, having all that I need, I will abound in every good work. Why? Because I refuse for even a moment to entertain the deception and the lies of the devil. Just won't, I just won't, won't entertain it. As soon as it comes, oh Lord, I repent of that. Lord, I turn away from it. Lord, I re no, 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 God. This is a new season. The time has come. The time has come. We should always be announcing that the time has come. That's the gospel. The time has come. It's not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's what that death, burial, and resurrection means. It means that the time has come. It means that we are no longer enslaved to the powers of the devil. It means that the power of sin has been broken. It means that he has triumphed over powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. It means that we are more than conquerors. The time has come. It means it's time to turn away from our sorrow and our grief. It means it's time to stop feeling sorry about ourselves. It means it's time to stop being intimate with defeat. The time has come. It's a new season. It's time to stop lingering in that old season, in that old way. It's time to stay, get your mind right. The time has come, but you can't enter into that season until you begin to repent and walk in repentance. The, as soon as I start thinking something's turning, all kinds of lies from the devil are going to come to convince me nothing has changed. You're just as messed up as you used to be. You're just as sinful as you used to be. Nothing has changed. You thought something changed, but it didn't. You thought something broke through, but it didn't. And that's what the deception of the enemy is designed to do, is to refute the gospel. Because as soon as God says the time has come, the devil comes up behind you and whispers, not yet. And he doesn't mind you believing that is coming. But he, he, will, he will do everything in his power to make sure you don't believe that it's come. Do you hear me? What does this mean? It means we have to shift out of the prophetic into the apostolic. Follow me here. The old covenant is the, is the, is the prophetic age. The Old Covenant is built on the foundation of the prophets. And what did the prophets do? They foretold the time that was coming. In those days, saith the Lord, I will. And after that, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. And I'll send my servant Elijah all of these promises about what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming. And Israel got so used to believing that it was coming that when Jesus stood up and said, the time has come, they couldn't believe it. There's believers in the body of Christ that are stuck in the prophetic. Why? Because I've been believing it's coming for 20, 30 years. And I'm so used to believing it's coming that when somebody says it's come, I just don't believe it. 
Jesus says everything you've hoped for, everything Moses prophesied about, everything Jeremiah prophesied about, everything Joel prophesied about, everything you've been hoping for and waiting for. Remember, he stood in the temple in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and he opened the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He said, bring me Isaiah 61. They bring him the scroll, and he opens it up, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open prison doors for those who are bound, to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the Lord's favor. He put it down, and he said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they decided to stone him. Because we're so used to believing that it's coming, that we can't seem to believe that it's come. And in order to believe the gospel, i got to stop believing that a time is coming and start believing that the time is come. You are not believing that God's going to heal you one day. You're believing that by his stripes you are healed. You're not believing that God's going to deliver you one day. You are believing that you are delivered, that you are more than a conqueror. You're not believing for the one day. You are believing for today. And the new covenant is the apostolic covenant because it's all about the today. It's all about what God is doing now, not about what God is about to do tomorrow and about this time. That's old covenant, Old Testament thinking. It's about what God has done now. It's about what God has already done in Jesus Christ. It's already done. We've got to begin to shift into now thinking the time. Time has come now. It's time now. It's time now. And every time the gospel is preached, it announces some season that begins today. And I declare to you by the word of the Lord that you're entering into a new season right now. Not later, right now. Right now. A new season in your thinking, a new season of repentance and faith, a new maturity in the things of the Spirit right now. A new openness to the Spirit. A new encouragement right now. It's done. Now, it was done 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross between earth and heaven with nails in his hands and in his feet and a crown of thorn upon his head. The moment he said, it is finished, it was done right then. It's now. How do you enter into it? Repent and believe the gospel.